Hello and welcome to Portraits of Clongos, a podcast series that takes you on a journey into the lives of former pupils of Clongos Wood College. My name is Rossa McDermott, and in this podcast series, we will speak with alumni from Clongos to hear their first-hand accounts of the transformative impact this school has had on their lives. Richard McAwee is Director of Communications and Legal Affairs at the Rugby Players Ireland. A former school captain in Clongos, he studied law and left there in 2005. Richard, welcome to Portraits of Clongos. Thanks, Rossa, for having me. Not sure what I've quite done to get myself here. But hey, you, got the, you got the call, you got the call. <laughs> the first question is, how do you remember your time there? Well, if I was to try and succinctly capture my time in Clangos, I would say that I cried going there and I cried just as hard when I left. It was all-encompassing experience, I guess, and left a, a profound impact on me. And even before this uh, conversation was anticipated, I had a chance to think about my time in Clongos because my nephew, Ruben, has just started in first year. And it brought me back to what might be mundane memories, I guess. Mm. I went in in 99 and at that point, obviously, the 99 building just been built. So you felt like you were leaving the palatial experience of the 99 building to go to retreat to your bed <laughs> in the 66. Um, there were other things as well, like you'd have the drawing room in, in the winter, the, kind of the smells that exude yeah. from that place, <laughs> um, the shoes squelching in the corridors. Uh, one odd thing that sticks out to me is that the crow's nest out the back of the 66 building and the smaller cricket pavilion. It, it almost lended itself to the mystical... Which is that, the third line cricket pavilion? Yeah, yeah. Yes, actually, yeah, 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 exactly. It lended itself to that mystical aura that the place had. And of course then, obviously, we had duck pushes and cup runs and but all that you'd been stuff. down there because you had brothers there. You'd seen the place before you arrived. Yes, so my brother Peter uh, first went to the school in 1987. James went in 93. So I guess I'd always known I was going to Clangos uh, and it was it was always expected. So you would have thought that I would have been well adjusted by the time that time actually came around. But as much and all as I loved my time in school mm. and, and those, both James and Peter blazed a trail and they had fantastic experiences. But I think my trip to Clangos in first year sense was nothing short of traumatic in some ways. I remember just being extremely homesick, almost to the point of ridicule, I'd say. Uh, and being the son of a pharmacist, I'd all the lingo to go with it to make sure that no <laughs> prefect or nobody stood in my way to get to the infirmary because that was <laughs> one step closer to getting home, <laughs> which I did manage several times. And But you're hardly alone in your sense of displacement or loneliness or whatever, homesickness, were you? I, I don't think so, but it probably felt that way. I, I tried yeah. to hide away as, as much as I could. I mean, I, I have a huge amount of respect for the prefects and for all the staff for how they deal with students of that age. And mm. uh, it's just hard to rationalise things at that point. Yeah, I remember it was uh, Christmas time going back and I, I still get almost a sense of dread <laughs> and goosebumps just yeah. thinking about it. And at that point, it was really a make or break whether mm. I was going to hang around or not and conversations that started to happen at school, whether Klong was the right thing for me or not. And I can't remember who, but somebody said to me, look, just hang in there until cup season and see what happens. And just before we returned back after the Christmas that year, Vinnie Murray had just passed away. That's right. Uh, and we ended up going on a, a sustained cup run, obviously in 2000, and mm. John Smith uh, captained the team to to the cup that March. And I think from there, a real sense of belonging mm. began to take hold. There wasn't just a flick of a switch, but certainly I became more 
ingrained in the place, I would and say. And you were a sporty before you went or you just got into sport when you went? Or Sport was probably the great leveller for me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it was the place where I re-emerged again. I'd hide away in classes and I wouldn't go to lunches and the lads will often remember, I, I think to almost help me survive, there was deliveries of these boxes <laughs> of Rice Krispie Squares and I used to sit in my room and eat them. Sure. And it was, it was probably the one place where I kind of felt I could be myself again because mm. uh, I felt all these eyes watching me. And I, I guess given both my brothers had been there was a, a level of pressure or expectation that I put upon myself to perform or to act in a certain way. So going back to my cubicle was kind of my oh, safe space. Were your brothers still there when you were there? No. So, oh, right. so uh, they'd been through. It was a year there. separation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't have that safety net, you think, even no. though for most of the people I've talked to had brothers, uh, the brothers were no help at all. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, 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 had, I did have two cousins and there were a number of lads who had brothers yeah. dotted throughout the school. But I think uh, I was just a bit irrational at that point. And yeah. There's no other way of explaining. Did you go young? Were you 12 or 13? Uh, I or? was 13. I think I was, yeah. I was quite old for my year because yeah. I was overage for rugby yeah. at different right. stages of all the right. way through. So that caught me out. Yeah. <laughs> Could have, should have, would have if you'd gone a year early, yeah. was it? Yes, for sure. <laughs> and if I asked you what did it give you for life uh, in terms of the good things or bad things, what would you say they might have been in your professional career? It definitely gave me a good sense of timekeeping and routine <laughs> and scheduling. It's amazing uh, how common that theme is. Yeah, I, I uh, once I qualified at the bar, I, I remember just been struck by the whole chaotic nature of it and at some <laughs> points I, I often wondered God that the forecourts could actually do with the prefect rattling their keys going yeah. to the corridors to make sure people got in to where they needed to be but I think more importantly obviously there was a rounded education piece yeah. and certainly I, I poured myself into everything in Clongos there was a declamation that stood out to me. I always was fascinated by how Maki or, or Bruce Bradley or whoever was addressing us the prefects managed to weave a, a fairly significant message through mm. their declamations and some of them were to call us to order some of them were just to give us some sort of life lesson but one said to me you get out of Clongus what you put into it and I just ran with that notion and I got involved in everything. I'd, I'd say it was probably less time in study than I should have been because I was singing songs, I was playing instruments, I was debating, I was acting, I was in the rugby teams. The leave insert or exams along the way probably were a second thought really, but I guess there's some of the softer skills and everything that I've learned to develop and that I've brought into my own career. Yeah, but also teach you how to get on with people, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. And I, I gave a careers talk a couple of years ago back in Clongos and they just asked me, I work in sports, so they were all fascinated by that. And they were like, well, how do you get there? What skill mm. did you have? And do you know, I, I broke it down to just being a good person in a lot of ways. I try not to burn bridges where I go. And uh, one profound lesson that my parents would have always given me was be nice to people on the way up because you'll be you meeting could. them on the way back down again. Yeah, one of you, either you meet them or they meet you. And uh, Exactly. And, and so I like to think that during my time in school, I treated first years with the same respect as I would have treated a sixth year or a member of staff. Mm. And that was just the way I approached things. And it didn't cost anything to be that way. I mean, we, we spoke earlier just about that common connection, that common bond that Clondos mm. lads have. And whether I meet them in a bar in Dublin or meet them walking on the street, there's always that knowing nod or glance or smile. And there's that common connection. You don't, never know when you might need that person. And that mm. person, I'll be damn sure of it, will be willing to help if that time ever arose. There's a guy a couple of years ahead of me called Marcus McDermott. And Marcus manages a restaurant in Portugal. And I kind of feel, I, I, I want to say this, I have to say this. But last year, my parents uh, landed into his restaurant in Portugal, made the connection to Clongos. And of course, my mother was made to feel like the number one guest in, in the place. And do you know what? It actually turned out to be her last night out. She sadly passed away before oh, Christmas. Wow. And do you know, it's something, something so small. Yeah. He didn't have to do it. Yeah. But he just made her feel special for those couple of minutes. And I went, you know what? Wow. That Clongus connection just made it all worthwhile. And who recognised who? They asked him or did he make the connection? Do you know? 
my mother adored the place. So I imagine she'd clocked him at some point and maybe right. might have pretended that she didn't know him, but <laughs> there was some sort of connection right. made. And did your father go to He didn't. No. He went to Gormanston and Meath. Right. Um, so how, what, how did it come about that you guys went there? You don't know? I was thinking about this and for some reason... My mother always professed that there was some sort of connection to Clongus. We can never quite figure it out. <laughs> a, a number of my relatives and ancestors would have been part of religious orders and right. the Jesuits are always highly thought of in those circles. And I, I'm from Melican County Leash and our neighbouring town is a place called Emo. Mm. And back in 1933, I believe, Terry Birmingham, who was my great-granduncle, was the priest in Emo and he actually passed away while raising the host. And the story goes anyway that the Jesuits who were living in uh, Emo Court came over to finish saying the mass for him. And so from there, there seemed to be some sort of an affinity that developed. My mother was convinced that actually there's something more to this. And so we were investigating. And I actually went back about 10 years ago with Margaret Doyle into the archives. And mm. we found that my great, great grandfather had been there in 1852. Wow. And we subsequently found uh, an academic award from that time uh, somewhere in one of the back shells and the back of beyond somewhere. But that's how it came about. And it was their ambition and they worked bloody hard to get us there. But Peter, James and I all went to Clongos and I like to think we made the most of the opportunity. Mm. The current archivist, John Bird, has found out that he has descendants there by work in the archives. He was didn't know about it. Yeah. You know, it was kind of, kind of funny. And uh, if I asked you then, would you, if you had kids, would you use it for your own family's education or would you say no? I'd certainly consider it if all things were equal, for sure, absolutely. Uh, I actually went back as a prefect. I was going to say that, yeah. Yeah, about... Did that uh, make or break? <laughs> yeah, it was about 10 or 11 years ago and actually served as a, as a good reset in my own career because I was heading down the legal route, not entirely sure if it was the way I wanted to go. And I went back and we had a great team. Frank Kelly headed it up, but there was myself, uh, Barry Bowen, who's subsequently become one of my best friends, Colin Maloney, David Sharkey, Paddy Collins, of course, Tony Egan, all past pupils. Mm. And it reinvigorated my kind of love for the place again, because I think it's probably fair to say as well, if I can, that while I have my own plenty of personal fond memories of the place, my own year group probably weren't so highly thought of. And uh, we had our difficulties as we made our way through. And some guys maybe became a little bit disillusioned. Is that, that, do you think that's a perception or is it evident anything in your group? I think it was a perception. Now, there probably would have been some substance to it along the way, yeah. but... Um, were you messers or? Uh, there was there was a few messers mm. in there, but I, I don't think there was ever nasty or anything untoward. It was it was just a bit relentless at some <laughs> stages. Uh, and I, I, I sometimes think we'd some of the nicest guys and some of the most talented guys to have mm. ever gone through the place. And I don't think they at times got the due credit that they deserved. And maybe there was a bit of an onus on lads within the year to, to sort it out. But equally, we had our own affairs to look after. We would our exams to get or yeah. our rugby teams to make or do whatever we had to do. So... Uh, I think from a year perspective, I'd have liked if it was a little bit better, but uh, still at the same time, still 30, 40 of us guaranteed to, to remain in contact and, and catch up at various events and different things. I just feel that we lack that, maybe that lasting legacy that maybe a senior cup or the best academic achievers might have attached to their year. Yeah, maybe, but that's maybe just a perception in your own minds of, like, it's easy for us to say in 78, we got great results and we won the cup. But people perceive 78 to be a great year. But we had our own problems. You know, Mucky Shea will tell you, we were a bunch of messers. But we still meet up and all that's behind us. And now the stories get grander and more fantastic as we get older. Yeah. But the the, the thing it does do, which is contrary to what you're trying to say, is we don't have a monkey on our back. Maybe, and maybe it was a cup, I don't know, yeah. the results. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. But it's, it's we have fondness there. Yeah. That obviously you... 
Well, I, I, I think the group as a collective probably would have that similar fondness, but yeah. I, I don't know whether it's a certain your, number amongst yeah, us yeah. in there would, would, would maybe carry that monkey maybe uh, unreasonably so. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's just something... Which, as I say, when I went back as a prefect, then I kind of went, "Oh, look, I, I can, I can." And how was that as a prefect? You knew, as Tony, you said, he knew what all the boys did, so he knew what the trouble was. He could find them if he wanted to. Yeah, well, certainly, uh, <laughs> there was two or three lads in amongst our staffing team who, who prefecting team, who definitely knew the corners to go look at yeah. the, the different things. It was certainly an experience, and it gave me a whole new network again of whether it was parents who I was closer in age to then at that point, yeah. uh, the students. It was. Interesting, a great yeah. learning curve, I have yeah. to say. And it, it's something I look fondly on. People might have raised an eyebrow at the time and uh, gone, what, what the hell is he doing there? Mm. But in actual fact, I, I actually really value my time, my second coming, as it were. Yeah, well, I mean, in our time, obviously, the Jesuits were 24-7. They were like three people in one. There were very few lay teachers. But now, listening to Tony Egan, the, the world has changed. There's 100 plus staff and uh, prefects are vital. And the more you know coming back, I think, is a bonus because a lot of history is disappearing as new people come in, which is natural. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's why a series like this is, is actually so important, Rossa, because it's important that we do remember the where the school has been and where it's come from um, and that younger students listening in kind of have an appreciation for that as well because ultimately everything's changing. It's it's not just Clongos, but things at large are, are changing quite rapidly with the speed of tech and social media and all these various under industries that are developing. And um, I, I, I just hope that Clongos retains a sense of where it was and that ethos that I think shines through in, in, in so many of us. I think they're trying, yeah. Uh, but the, there's no Jesuits really around day to day. So they're trying to balance that ethos, but uh, it's not getting any easier. And obviously it's closer to Dublin now. It's a different kind of school. A lot of guys go away for the weekends. So there's a lot of challenges, but you're right. Uh, if this can play a role that wasn't the intention, it would be great. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it'd be great. And what was it like you had, what, Rob Carney and Fergus in your year? Uh, and now you deal with them uh, professionally. <laughs> yeah, well, Rob actually was uh, chairperson of Rugby Players Arts. Yeah. So we're the Players Association. Yeah. So um, we represent the players, we develop them, and we kind of encourage them to engage in the community. And Rob is a very good chairman of Rugby Players Arts for seven years, eight mm. years. It was great to have that link again. For example, I, I wouldn't have much face-to-face -face time with them, but yeah. there was there was always the the knowing awareness of the respective roles. I was uh, the year below Rob and in Fergus's year. And, and, and one thing, especially in, in relation to Fergus, that stands out, I mentioned earlier about being nice and being mm. kind. And that mm. was certainly the way I approached things. But I could have definitely done with a bit of a killer instinct. And Ferg had that in abundance. I remember there was the days leading up to a cup match and I was trying to wrap myself up in cotton wool, <laughs> trying to avoid the glare of the coaches. Yeah. Um picked up a tackle bag and who did I line up against? Only Fergus McFadden <laughs> and he wasn't taking any shortcuts and he mm. sent me into orbit. And I think he probably doesn't get the due credit again that his career, oh, was, like he did a tremendous career. career. Tremendous career, tremendous career. Uh, and I think that he was just someone, some people would say he made the most of his talents and so be it. But whatever he lacked in a certain scale, he made up for it in his mentality. He was the person he always wanted to go to war with and yeah. that was always the case of Fergus right through the, the school. <laughs> Playing with Rob, I mean, plan A, plan B, plan C was was through Rob, which could have been frustrating at times. Um, yeah. But a lot of you brought us along for the ride. Thanks yeah. very much. And then Dave then followed then shortly afterwards. So yeah. I suppose I was privileged to have had that time with players yeah. of that calibre. There's other young Klongonians as well who are making their, their way through the game. Uh, obviously, Ty Byrne, yeah. Dan Sheehan. And I think we we're just speaking about it on the way up here that there seems to be a similar 
trend, a resilient trend throughout them all. They've all had their own different challenges mm-hmm. throughout their careers. I think of Will Connors in particular and uh, the couple of injuries he's picked up along the way and he just manages to keep going and, and yeah. finding his way through. And it's hugely admirable. Uh, Ed Burns, another, he he's some yeah, still woeful careers. Or woeful, sorry, injuries. Yeah. Do you know, it, it's a huge credit to them. Yeah, and Ty Burns is my particular favourite because he's now revered whereas he spent a lot of days battling away to get there but he never gave up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, that resilience is, is just tremendous to see he it, gets rewarded. He probably used that Maybe that little bit of a chip in his shoulder yeah, to, maybe. to his advantage and it's yeah. really reap rewards now, hasn't it? Yeah, it's tremendous to see. But it's just bizarre for our age group to see enlist these players, Lions, ex-Lions, World Cup. You know, it's just uh, amazing how the sport, I mean, the schools are all about rugby, but it's tremendous to see people have reached the, the levels they have. For sure, yeah. And one outstanding memory of the first time you saw the place, uh, Richard. Would you have one in particular? Uh, one outstanding memory. I remember my impression of Clongos before going there. I guess I always accompanied my brothers back to school mm. after the weekend breaks. And I loved almost the energy that was in the dorms. And, and but you knew you were escaping home. I, I knew I was getting home, so I was, I was happy. <laughs> it was out. easy but for you. I embraced it then. Yeah. I didn't embrace it when I went to yeah. first year. Uh, but I always loved going up and meeting the friends and they just ruffle the hair or say yeah. whatever they had to say to the young fella <laughs> running around the place. Yeah. And when I went home, I didn't know what went on behind those walls. Yeah. And to my mind, it was it was something like, uh, remember the film Dead Poets Society yeah. with Robin Williams? <laughs> yeah. And I, I thought, I think Welton Academy was the name of the school. And Welton Academy and Clongo seemed to be one of the same thing. Yeah. To a point when I was going to Mass on Sunday, I, I'd recognise the different characters in the film and the guys <laughs> on the queue for communion. Or I would, um, walking through the Rogues Gallery back up to the castle after yeah. a school play or a concert, you almost felt there's a scene in the movie where yeah. the portraits are speaking out to the students like, Carpe diem. <laughs> uh, and I, I felt that happened every time, probably even to this day. So I think my first memory was really crashing right through that. I remember sitting beside a fellow called Brendan O'Toole who was coming in from Namibia and he was even more distraught than I was. Mm. So that probably gave me some perspective and enabled mum and dad to actually get out of there before I <laughs> ran after them. There's a memory we all have uh, and it's enshrined in the Clongoni of Donner McGreevy from Westport. Father Bruce Bradley greeting him out in front of the castle. I was like, hello Donard, welcome to Clongos. How the hell do you know my name? Uh, and from there, the stories ran. But in, in, in terms of memories, as I mentioned, it's a bit of a blur because it was so homesick. Mm. Uh, but I do remember one of the days I was wandering the corridors, not finding my way to class, probably hadn't eaten uh, and I'm sure people were worrying about me, or at least I hope they were. That was, in my head, the, the narcissistic voice in me. But somehow, uh, Brother Charles Connor yeah, happened to come yeah. across me. And Brother Cha, I have known him from all my time going uh, to Union Day and uh, the SRPA. Both James and Peter were very much involved in selling the plants in Union Day. And um, so I'd known him and he was also a leash man. So he felt a little bit like a closer connect to home. And uh, Brother Cha brought me up to the castle that day. And wow. Yeah, and we sat down and I think he realised I hadn't eaten. So he opened a box of cornflakes for me. I proceeded to walk through the box of cornflakes and drank them out of milk, did all I had to do. And then it settled me a little Mm. bit. And maybe that was something of of a turning point in my Klongo's trajectory as early as it did come. And there were some struggles to come, but Chao was always someone I kind of felt was my safe space. Mm. Um, And it was actually fitting then on my very last day in the school. I think it was their tradition that you'd leave your pen up by Father John Sullivan's grave. I think Did, so, yeah. Is that in your time? No, I don't remember that, but uh, yeah. wouldn't uh, be surprised. Yeah. I remember I was on the avenue for some particular <laughs> reason and I, I must have been going up to visit the grave on the last day of my exams and I happened to meet you uh, mm. on the walk back in and he just put the hand on the shoulder and said, I'm proud of you, you've, you've made it. And you know, I, I think some of the times in reflecting on my time in Klongos, I, I almost regret the fact that I seem to 
live to get through it as opposed to... Were you putting pressure on yourself, you think, in yeah, that Yeah, I, I was living to get through it as opposed to living being in the experience. Being, yeah. uh, and as much and all as I did, it was always a bit of a, a, a an end goal. And I was trying to meet all the bars that maybe my brothers had set. <laughs> yeah. So I, I always felt maybe switched on. And that was just the way I was ultimately. And thankfully, I did all I had to do and... I contributed in in a variety of ways, so much so that it doesn't taint my experience. But certainly, you're happy I, to I go back. You're happy to go back. There are I, fond memories there as yes, well. Yes, for sure. But yeah. I, I I wish I maybe embraced myself a little bit more. Look, I have the same thing with my time in UCD, Richard. So I look back at my college time and say I could have done a lot more. Yeah, uh, I found the transition. I've said it before from a boarding school to a day school. Night and day. I mean, the discipline disappeared. Yeah. I mean, I was down in Clongo's yesterday. When the bell goes, I feel I should be somewhere. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The, yeah. That's what kept me on the straight and narrow. And everybody says, and two things of everybody says, homesickness and the timekeeping. Yeah. That's a constant theme in our lives. When you mentioned UCD there, it also, I, I definitely struggled a little bit more my identity once I'd left the school because mm. so much of it had been sewn up in the place yeah. and in my achievements and what I did. When I went to UCD, I was suddenly a, a small fish in a very big pond. Yeah. Nobody cared anything about what I'd done. And that's where the sport again became the great level for me. I got involved in so many things. And actually, it's probably the most impactful thing that I I think happened in my young post-Clongo's life. Uh, I was due to play an All-Ireland semi-final for UCD in Jordanstown. But it clashed on the same day a passy present match back in Clongo's was happening. And so, what was I going to pick? I want to go back to Clongo's. Was it a Sigerson Cup or something, was it? No. Uh, no, it wasn't. No. It, was a, it was a freshers' no, competition sure, yeah, at the time. Sure. And I uh, went to Clongo's anyway, and five minutes into the game, I did my cruciate ligament. And wow. then all of a sudden, the sport that I relied upon so heavily yeah. to try and integrate myself into yeah. different things, that was all gone. And that just set me on a whole new path of self-discovery, I guess. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I, I spent my time trying to get off the UCD freshers' rugby to play soccer. So, it's, there's a tour to uh, South America. Yes. So soccer, UCD soccer, which is my sport, saved me because your nameless uh, person in UCD is so much bigger and I, I probably struggle to adapt to that. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? So if I ask you the music pieces, then take you back. Uh, I have two. Hope it's not sad music now, Richard. <laughs> oh, um, there was certainly sad music in my walkman for many of those days. But uh, two pieces. I know no matter where I am in the world, no matter what I'm doing, if uh, any of Maricone's piece, uh, Gabriel Zobo, right. on a mission, if that yeah. comes on, I'm immediately transported back to the boys' chapel of a Sunday morning. Mm. Uh, and generally it came as a brief interlude between uh, Father Peter Sexton's <laughs> conducting of the masses. Yeah. And uh, the second piece leans into my previous point about embracing the self. Uh, it's a song called uh, Shade by Silverchair. Now, it's not to everyone's liking, yeah. but one of my uh, good friends, Ross Giles, uh, I was best man for his wedding last mm. year and I commended him in in that speech and I reminded him of this song uh, Shade that he and the super group that they formed for an open mic session happened to play and there was a line in it that said um, don't go hiding in the shade obviously enough and I think maybe um, goes some way to capture a bit of my experience there because again as I was saying I was was so switched on I was so keen to say the right things and do the right things that I never really put a foot wrong whereas I maybe should have if I had fully embraced Mm. who I was more to the point and uh, that song kind of sits there atop those Clongo's memories for yeah. good or for bad I don't know but yeah. it's there I think you hardened yourself I hardened myself I'd like to think I've developed a, a balanced view. view of myself I know I, I gave of myself to the place as I mentioned at the outset it's had a profound impact on me and, and I, I gave back to you obviously because you have that affinity so yeah yeah and, and look I, I, I cherish my time there maybe 
it's something that I carry with me and, and that I have an expectation on myself yeah. to to do and achieve certain things. I had the bars set by the brothers, so I had to meet them yeah. as I went along the way and make sure that I wasn't disappointing anybody. I was... They were obviously high achievers, were they? They were. Uh, Peter, as I mentioned, he uh, had a terrific time in the school and he came through his challenges and, and uh, I mean, he's now to the core of his year group. James is a school captain uh, in 98 uh, when they won the cup. So again, I went along with that journey and the, kind of the fairy tale element of that. So yeah. I guess going to Clongos, I, I expected it to be all song and glory whereas the reality of it is that sometimes you're going back to bed in the 66 building and it's cold and you close the curtain and you wonder where this is all leading to Oh we've all been there yeah Yeah. I always think just on a side note that's amazing the 78 88 and 98 were kind of cup wins it was like this mathematical thing that went on for two decades I always found bizarre yeah. <laughs> you know and they lost track but uh, true. to have won the first time it was amazing in 78 and to sum up then Richard your time in Clongos it was exceptional. I love the place. And I mean, it's very much a part of who I am. Richard McAwee, thank you for joining me on Port of Clongos. Thank you very much. Thank you.